ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with, because we are a church that believes in our Bibles and we believe in taking notes. It's going to be amazing. If you're new with us, we are in a character study. Um, We like to study the Bible in series, and so maybe around a particular topic, or we walk through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And then we do something every couple of years, what I like to call a character study. And we just pick a certain person out of the Bible, study their lives, how they followed God, how God responded to them, and see if there's some things we can learn. And we're looking at a very ordinary guy in the Old Testament, one of my favorites, by the name of Nehemiah. Incredibly ordinary, not a ruler or a king or anything like that, but Nehemiah does something bigger than himself. He he steps into a role that God has called him to play, and he accomplishes it with the power of God, never on his own strength. And he does something that outlives him. He does something that outlasts him. He does something so much bigger than he actually is. And we're going to study him a little bit. We're in week number two. But let me kind of set up week two uh, with a couple of thoughts. And one of these thoughts is about you that I have noticed. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of truth about yourself. And then we're going to ask God to speak to us and believe that he is going to lead us as we continue this series. But here's what I'm guessing I know about a lot of you. And this is based on not only conversations I've had over the last few years, but really this last week with a whole bunch of you after week one. Because we talked in week one about Nehemiah's response and how we begin to respond to those things in our lives. But here is what I know about probably 80, 90% of you is there is something. There is something in the world that weighs heavy on your heart. Some injustice, some thing that is happening, some group of people or some idea or some nation or some whatever it is, there is something that doesn't sit right with your heart. There is something that you see that maybe the people around you don't or maybe they don't care as much as you do, but there is something on your heart, some injustice, maybe a people group, maybe it's something that disturbs you, something that upsets you on behalf of God. And here's what I found. And I wanted to put this as a note. You can jot it down if you want to. But this is the thing. The things that break your heart, the things that weigh on your heart, the things that you say, I care so much more than the people. I don't know why they don't care like I do. The things that break your heart so often reveal the areas that you are called to impact, that you are called to reach, that you are called to minister to. And I think sometimes we... we diminish that thing that breaks our heart because we look around and we say, well, no one else is responding, so it must not be as important as I think it is. Or we look around and we say, well, no one else is doing it. I don't think I could do it by myself. And I don't think I should step out or be the one. And we look at those things, but so often those things that break your heart. And I say this when I talk with people. So many times you can see it when you talk five minutes with somebody. You can see where their heart is. You can see the way that they care about something. Or the way, And so often those things that break your heart, they're indicators of the things that we are called to reach. In other words, the things that upset you, the things that tend to be on your burden of your heart. We might call them a divine burden. Those things that are on your heart over and over again, they will compel you into ministries and into different actions and into groups and into things and whatever it is. They'll compel you into those things to make a difference in those areas. And here's the second thing maybe that I know about this, that we're just kind of at the outset of this message. And that is, you never know when you're on the front end of something really, really special. You never know when you're right at the cusp of something that could make an incredible impact in your world. You never know when you're about to start something like that. You ask anybody who's done something great or done something that lasts, and you you never know right at the beginning. In fact, we'll read about Nehemiah. He said, I was scared, and I was timid, and I felt sick, and I cried. All of these things, it wasn't like, and then I knew, man, right at the beginning that all this would happen. 
You never know when you're on the front end of something incredible, something that could make an impact. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that. And honestly, just to to give you maybe something that's kind of close right now that we know about. And just an example for you. But I was standing on Friday at night to shine. And I was standing back there in the gym and and I was standing next to Jennifer uh, in one of the moments where she wasn't having to schedule everything and do everything because she had some crazy months leading up to this event, everybody. She did an incredible job, but she had some crazy. Yeah, we could give incredible, incredible job. But I was standing next to her back in the gym about halfway through the night and everybody's out on the dance floor and some of you busted moves I've never seen before. And so we have those on video, everybody. We see you. We see you guys out there. I'm going to, I have some pastoral talks we're going to have later on in that. (laughs) But we're watching that thing and I'm looking at, and in that moment, I I hadn't remembered it until that second. I was standing next to her and I had a moment I remembered four or five years ago where I was standing next to her at a conference. We had taken the staff and all of us to, and all the staff had come together for, I don't know what we were saying. Hey, I'm going to this breakout session or, hey, I'm going to listen to this talk. And I was probably like, I'm going to go find food. So that's just how it goes. And so we had come together, and I remember she, in that little group thing, she was like, hey, this has just really been on my heart. They have a breakout about ministering to people with special needs. I'm just going to go find out a little more, but this is just something that put on my heart. Listen to me. It was just an ordinary moment. Like, I wasn't like, I am the voice of God, and I confirm that. That's going to be awesome. There wasn't, like, trumpets in the sky and, like, heavenly signage that said, I went and found food, everybody. That's what I went. But in that moment, and then four or five years later, I'm standing back there watching 100 guests and 150 volunteers and countless parents and families and buddies and all the things happen on those. You never know when you're on the front end of something. But listen to me, what God puts on your heart, the things that are on our burdened on our heart so often indicate what you are called to reach. And I want you to have that. If you hear nothing else this morning, listen to me, the burdens that God puts on our hearts, it's areas that he's entrusted to us. It's areas that he has given to us and it's something incredible that would impact the lives of people and you're leaning into it. Maybe you're at that moment right now. Maybe that's where you are. You're right at that moment at the beginning and you're maybe a little bit scared or you're a little bit dubious of what it might be or maybe you're just a little bit, I don't know what it is. But you might be at the front end of something that would impact something bigger than you. You would impact something that would last longer, impact the lives of people. Amen, everybody? So grab out your Bible, something to take notes. Let me just give you the context in case you weren't with us uh, in week number one. We're back in the year 587 BC. So the King Nebuchadnezzar, evil king of Babylon, leads the Babylonians to invade Jerusalem. And so they destroy the city, right? This isn't like just they just come through and take some groceries and run back out. They destroy everything, everybody, in ways that are hard to describe how evil the Babylonians would have been at this time. And so they raise the city to the ground. They burn with fire the gates. They break down the walls. You know the temple is completely destroyed. They take the children of Israel captive back to Babylon. Decades later, some of the Jewish people are allowed out of captivity and they return to try to rebuild. And so they're not going back to like this built city that they can just inhabit and do all of these things. Like maybe the economy is just a little bit bad. It's gone, everybody. They go back to this burned city and they try to make something of it. And they work at it and they work at it year after year and they can't do anything. They can't rebuild the walls and so they get attacked. They can't rebuild their homes. They get attacked. There's no economy. There's no jobs. There's no structure. There's no leadership. There's no hope. And for decades and decades and decades... They live in disgrace and they live in ruin. 
And so now we go 140 years into the future. And a little guy named Nehemiah, the kingdom of Babylon has changed hands now. And so the king of Persia is now the king of Babylon. And so Nehemiah comes on the scene. And we meet Nehemiah when he hears the news about his people. That they live in disgrace, that they live in ruin, that the gates are burned with fire. And he feels this incredible burden. He feels this pity and he feels this incredible sadness for the plight of his people. And the plight of his city. And I want to tell you again, Nehemiah is not a pastor. He's not a priest. He's not a king. He's not a warrior. He's not even a contractor, everybody. He's not like, he's not verified on Instagram. Come on, I'll just meet you wherever you are. He doesn't have the check mark on Twitter. You can get for eight bucks or whatever it is. Nehemiah is a nobody living in, he's, he's a nobody. And he hears about this from his seat. He's, he's the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he hears about these people. And it says it weighs so heavy on his heart. This guy who has no formal appointed position in the kingdom. He has no great, he's the king of all. He has no great people who follow after him. No great resources that he can fund this whole thing. He is a nobody. But he feels this burden on his heart. And I don't know who this is going to speak to, but there are some of you listening right now. You don't have an appointed position. You haven't been commissioned. But what you have is God-given passion. And listen to me, that qualifies you to make a difference. That qualifies you to make an impact. I don't care if you say, well, no one has picked me and no one has chosen. No one has called. God has given you passion for something. And he has called you to make an impact in this world. And so last week we saw Nehemiah. First thing that happened, his heart broke. And the Bible actually says, he says, I sat down. First thing he does, I sat down and I cried. And he weeps over this. He wept and he mourned for quite some time. And then the Bible says the next thing he does, and you watch 12 times in the book of Nehemiah recorded. So probably hundreds of times in his life, it says Nehemiah bowed down and began to pray. 12 times he cries out and petitions the God of heaven. He begins to pray. And then he says, he finally, at the end, he just says, I began to respond. He begins to do something about the burden that comes on his heart. He says, somebody ought to do something about this. It might as well be me. So how do you make a difference? How do you even start? How do you do? And so what I want to do today in this, we're calling it part two, but what I want to do is treat week one and week two as one sermon. Because we ended off, I told you last week, I just gave you a couple of thoughts on how we could start this thing. But then that third point about beginning to respond, how do we start that? And so in week two, I want to be as practical as I can, because week three is coming. And listen to me, week three is hard. And I'll give you a little preview of that maybe a little later in the sermon. But week three is hard to get through. Today, though, I want to talk as practical as I can. And how do we do this thing? How do we begin to respond? We have that burden. You're sitting there thinking, okay, I kind of know what it is. Or maybe you're a little bit. But how do you begin to respond? First thing you want to do is this. And you can jot it down if you're taking notes. First thing we do is we pray about everything. We pray about everything you see about Nehemiah again and again and again. Not just at the beginning. All throughout this book. From the beginning to the middle to the very last thing that's recorded in the book of Nehemiah. We see Nehemiah praying and petitioning God again and again and again. And he doesn't stop when things seem to go a little well for him. He's not like, okay, God, thank you for that. I've got it from here. No, he begins to pray. And he doesn't stop when things turn against him. Like, oh, God, you forsake. No, he still seeks God in those moments. He prays and he prays and he prays. And so we're going to begin. We're going to seek God. In, every, in fact, let me give you the timeline so you can kind of understand this. If you read in the text, you're going to see Nehemiah heard the news about his people in the month of Kislev. And so you say, what in the world is Kislev? Kislev is around November, December for us. That's when he hears the news and he says he begins to weep. And then he says, and I fasted and I mourned and I prayed. 
And then it says he starts to pray, and he prays from the month of Kislev all the way till the month of Nisan. And so if you don't think I have 500 jokes about the month of Nisan, you have not been a victory very long. All right, everybody? So I'll just save those for later because you don't seem very excited about that. But he prays till the month of Nisan, four months after Kislev. Four months he prays. Why is he praying that long? Because you'll see in the month of Nehemiah, he is seeking the God of heaven. He's asking God to lead his steps. He's asking God to direct his actions. He's asking God to give him the words to speak to the king. He's asking God to order all these things, to open doors. To do He's praying and praying and fasting and praying. Everything we do, you have a passion. You have a heart for something. You want to do something. We do everything with prayer. Everything we do is in prayer. He's asking God to lead his steps. And listen to me, if you think, well, I'm going to pray and it's just, it's a little bit too tricky of a situation and where I am right now and all the moving parts and all those, listen to me, there is no trickier situation to pray about than to be the cupbearer of the king of Persia and to bring him bad news. Just want to get that in your minds, all right, right now, you are the cupbearer. You do not bring, in fact, your job is to take things off of the king's shoulders, never to bring him Extra things to make him sad. Come on, somebody. Like we have some business owners and managers and bosses in the room. You ever hired somebody and like two months later, you are doing more work because of that person than you were before you hired anybody? Just uh, <laughs> You don't even have to be a business owner. You ever have somebody in your life like you just, what happens to that person after two months? Somebody like, I wish I was the king of Persia. I would lift their head from their shoulders. I would... Bring more. You are the cup. You never bring. And so just as much with this king. You take in the bad news, you never bring the bad news. You do not want to be the person. And we'll see this, actually, in the verses. Watch this in Nehemiah. It's a very difficult place, everybody. So chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, here's what happens. He describes it. He said, I, in the month of Nisan, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Now, I read humor in my Bible. I think Nehemiah has given us some job advice here, right? I had never been, I've been sad, not in the king's presence. You understand this. This is where he is, this tricky. I'd never been sad in his presence before because that's not what you do to the king. And so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? Now, again, pause for just a moment. If you are not reading humor in your Bible, I can't help you, everybody. Because right now, I imagine the king saying, I know you're not ill, Nehemiah, because you are literally the one who drinks the wine before I drink it. And so if you are sick, you ever had a coworker that just shows up no matter what? Like they're just like, I'm powering through and they're like coughing and sneezing all over your stuff. And they're just doing king is like, I don't care what you think, everybody. That's just what, that's funny to me. He says, I know you now. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. It better not be anything but sadness of heart, Nehemiah. Anyway, but just back to our story. Come back with me. Here we go. He said, this kidney, I know when you're not ill, why, are you sad? why is your face downcast? Nothing but sadness of heart. Honestly, you see in this verse the closeness there. That the king notices this about Nehemiah. This closeness of relationship or whatever. Now watch him again. He's disturbed in his spirit and he tells him because of my people and all the things that happened. Watch this in verse 4. The king said to me, what is it that you want? And watch Nehemiah. He said, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Now watch again. How many times you see this? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I hope you notice this wasn't a four month retreat, like prayer retreat. I need to go on now. He'd already had that. In this moment, Nehemiah's already so close to the heart of God. He's already had the four months of prayer and fasting. And so now in this moment, this is a split second. I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. He's had the four month retreat, the prayer. And I hope that you'll pray in both ways. 
Honestly, as your pastor, it is my dream that you would pray long and powerful prayers before God, petitioning the heart of heaven and crying out to him in our devotion time. But you do that so that in the moment, you're sending up text-like prayers. You're like, God, help me in this moment. God, give me the words right now. God, help me to answer the way I'm supposed to. God, help me to treat that person. Lord, help me respond not with anger but with compassion. You're praying in the day because you've had those moments of prayer. Nehemiah is not like, quick, let me catch up on my devotion before I answer you, O king. I just got a, I got like 64 chapters and I will be back where I need to be in my Bible reading. I, no, in that moment, he said, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered him everything we do in prayer. But I hope that you'll pray both ways. That we're so close to the heart of God that in the moment we're like, God, just give me the words. Or we just cry, God, just, just prepare me. God, in this moment, t- teach me how to reach this person. We send up those prayers. We're walking so intimately with God. God, show me what to say. And there in the presence of the king, king's like, what do you want, Nehemiah? And I prayed to the God of heaven. I answered the king. And I hope you remember this about prayer. There is nothing too big to bring to God in prayer. And listen to me. If there is a burden on your heart, we bring it to God in prayer. Nothing too big, nothing too small. If you care about it, bring it to God in prayer. Continue. We're going to pray about everything. God, I need you. God, direct me. God, lead me. Nehemiah prayed faithfully and he sought after God. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to clarify the important thing. So we're going to pray about everything, but then we're going to clarify the important thing. And for some of us, I hope you understand this. Defining what you are doing clearly is your problem. Honestly, I'm not going to try to offend anybody, but I probably will step on a bunch of toes in the next few minutes. But listen to me. Clarity is your problem. For most people, lack of passion is not the problem. Lack of clearly defining what it is that you are doing is the problem. Let me, let me just kind of explain. It's not defining specifically. It's a lack of clarity. What is it that you are called to do? I want you to watch this. This ordinary guy, he's not known for his speaking. He's not known for his planning. He's not known for all the great things that he's done in his life. Ordinary guy, but he's been in the presence of God, seeking the Lord, praying about everything. I want you to see how he answers the king. The way that he answers the king, how clearly it is. Watch this from an ordinary. He says this, King asked Nehemiah, what do you want me to do? He says, if it pleases the king... And I found favor in his sight. Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. One sentence. Absolute clarity. One sentence and you get the whole gist of the book of Nehemiah. The one sentence and he said, what did he say? Please send me to Judah so I can rebuild the walls. Clarity. We pray about everything. We clarify the important thing. Let me tell you what Nehemiah did not do. And I don't mean to be rude or make fun of anybody, but this is what I see so many times. The king says to him, Nehemiah, what do you want me to do? Listen to me. What Nehemiah did not say is he didn't say, well, king, you know, there's just been some things I've been thinking about and just some things I've just been mulling over in my mind. And you know, king, you know how it is. And I've got this aunt, you know, my aunt king, Aunt Martha, she lives over in Jerusalem and you know, king. She's got these three kids, and one of them's named Mickey. And Mickey sent me this article, and I read it, and I got really touched in my heart, but I didn't understand all the words. And so I looked it up in Wikipedia, and now I know a little bit more about it. And so I just thought maybe, you know, I've always wanted to travel. And so I went, maybe I'd go and see what was happening, you know, King. And maybe I've just been thinking a little bit more about it, and you know how it is. And I just, I don't know. And you know, I, I, I'm kind of tired of pouring your wine anyway, because it's just, you know, I might die any day now. And so you know how it is. And you didn't even tag me in that photo on Facebook where I was in the background. So I don't really know how close we are anymore. And so I've just been thinking maybe I would send out some letters and maybe people would send me some money and I'd go on a mission trip and just go see. And, you know, just something. But Martha and Mickey, they told me, you know, because I kind of know you and maybe I could ask you what you think because I know the king and I would just kind of see. So, king, what do you think? 
It's not a lack of passion, everybody. It's a lack of clarity. That's my valley girl Jewish impression. I don't know what that is. I don't know even what that means. I probably offended somebody, so I just pray for forgiveness. What do you do? (laughs) What is God calling you to do? Because too often times I will talk with somebody and the passion is there, but the clarity is a million miles away. What is God calling you to do? One sentence, Nehemiah says, send me to Judah so I can rebuild the wall. There's a lot of things for people to do, King. There's a lot of stuff in this world. This is what I'm supposed to do. Clarity. We clarify the important things. What do you want to do? What is God calling you to do? Say, hey, I want to help children. That's great. Which children? Is it children who don't have their basic needs met? Is it maybe children who have been abused? Is it maybe children who can't read? Is it children who don't have food? Is it children? And then where? Is it in your city? Is it in your state? In your nation? Maybe a country around the world? You say, well, I want to do these things. What is it very specifically God is calling you to do? And the bottom line, honestly, and it, it breaks my heart to see it, is we will go in a hundred different directions giving so much passion. And so much energy in every direction possible that we end up making a difference in none of them. And we will give ourselves incredibly well-intentioned, but we will go and run so fast in a hundred different directions. And we will find ourselves ineffective in every single one of them. If God is calling you to do it, say it clearly. In one sentence, what is God calling? Nehemiah says, I'm going to Judah, I'm going to rebuild the walls. In a sentence. And this is as practical as I can make it for you. You don't have to tell me what that sentence is. But today, this week, sometime in this month, write down, God is calling me to what? As clear as you can make it. What is God calling you? It might be just for this season. Nehemiah, it's just a season. We'll see in just a moment. But what is God calling you to? One sentence, clear. You might say, God is leading me to bring food and resources and supplies to a nonprofit who's reaching out to the homeless. Clear. Something that's clear, something that's doable. You might say, well, God is calling me to mentor at youth, at-risk youth, and I'm just called to give them uh, the mentor and the parenthood that I didn't have when I was little. Clarity, something God is calling you to do. Something. You might say, well, I want to reach every classmate I have before I graduate. I want to have a personal conversation about Jesus before I graduate in 2025 or 6 or whatever it is. I want to have that. Something clear that's doable. You want to make a difference. How do we do it? You clarify what's important. We're going to pray about everything. We're going to clarify the important thing. Number three, jot it down if you're taking notes. Then you plan the next thing. You plan the next thing. And all the wing in a prayer, living on whatever, people just died a little bit inside, all right? You just heard, you hear plan and you're thinking, listen to me, I feel your heart. I am a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy. I believe I respond best when I know nothing. Come on, somebody. Like, I just, let's get in the moment and just see what happens. But listen to me. A dream without a plan is just a wish. You understand that, everybody. Like that is the battleground between your dream actually happening and you just having wishful thinking and going about your day. Is you actually plan, what is the next step that you take? Because too often times we let things die just in the passion and we let things die just in the thought process and we never plan what the next step is. We got to plan the next thing. And some of you, you've just been wishing. Some of you, make a plan, everybody. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to get organized. Make a plan. Honor God with that plan. Get some things together. God is a God of order. You want to begin to plan. You got to think, okay, what is the next step I'm going to take? Watch how specific Nehemiah is. Clarity in what he wants to do. And then watch what he does next. Verse 6, it says, And the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? Notice Nehemiah is not like, well, I hadn't thought about that. 
I have no idea how long it's I got to go ask Mickey. I got to go figure out what, how long this thing is going to take. He said, it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. It pleased the king to send me. And so I set a time. I told him, this is how long it's going to take. Whatever it was, he tells the king. Now watch him. And I also asked the king, if it pleases the king, give me letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. So send letters to the people so that I have protection along the way. And then send a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park. So he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and the city wall and the residence that I will occupy. Two things. He asked for protection and he asked for provision. He says, send me to Judah to rebuild the walls and then give me these two things. And then he says this, and the gracious hand of God was on me. And because of that, the king granted my request. What did he do? He sought God. Four months he sought the Lord. Everything in prayer. Then with clarity, he said what the important thing was. Send me back. I'm going to rebuild the walls. And then he asked, created this plan. This is how I'm going to do it. And listen, he said, you might be saying in your, well, I, I want to create a plan. And that sounds great. But I don't know. I've been working on it for 10 years now. And I don't think I'll ever get the perfect plan in place. And listen to me, church. I have been a part of a lot of missions and a lot of outreaches, a lot of ministries and a lot of strategies and all those things. If we waited until we had a perfect plan. We would accomplish absolutely nothing. You understand this? Like if I waited till it was perfect in all the places I've been, if we had waited in my just short experience, if we waited till it was perfect, we would do nothing for the kingdom of God. You got to step out. You have a plan, but at some point you got to start. At some point we have to step out. So what's the next step? What's the next thing for you? You say plan the next thing. Maybe you don't have the entire thing in place. This is just plan the next thing. So what's the next step for you? What, what do you want to start a ministry? Take the next step. Maybe go find somebody who's doing something similar to what you are doing and learn from them. You say, I want to start a nonprofit and do that. Find somebody to talk to who has done this before you and learn from them. Go see a ministry. Take a tour. Find somebody who's gone before you and ask some questions. And listen, I'll just give you some advice, everybody. You didn't ask for it, but I'll give it to you. This is free. Go ask your questions and then don't you dare do all of the talking. Shut your face and let them talk. Come on, somebody. Like, listen to what they have to say. Learn from them. You want to start a nonprofit? Go learn from somebody who has done that. You want to step out in faith and reach a certain people group? Learn from somebody who has done that. You want to begin to do, learn, take a course online? You want to learn to make a business? Make a business plan. Go and take a tour of the buildings. You want to have an idea in your head? Listen to a podcast. Learn some things. Every step of the way, when you want to do something, then you do something to learn about it. What's the next step for you? You say, hey, this happens in all areas of life. You want to get a date? God has sent me to help you. Come on, somebody. Take a bath. Come on. We just, we're going to help. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go all, you want to, I'll just, I'll just help you today. Take a bath. Go buy a shirt with a collar on it. Come on, somebody. Put that thing on. Sell your PS5 and go to Target. Go to Target, everybody. Go to Target. Because Target is where the girls go to find things they don't need. Come on, somebody. They just go. <laughs> Go to Target. What do you, do you just? I'm gonna help somebody today. It's gonna be good. We went a little. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? <laughs> and you get married. You have a son one day. You name him Ben because Ben sent you to Target <laughs> to, for her to find you. That's what you just. You're good. Alyssa's shaking her head. No, she's saying no. That's too. <laughs> My wife said we move on. What do you do? What do you do when God has put something on your heart? What's the next step? What's the next thing that you do? Plan the next thing. It doesn't have to be a perfect plan. You pray about everything. You clarify the important thing. You plan the next thing. And number four, you keep passion for the right thing. 
I don't know how many people I've seen, they get through those first three, they start something and they lose the passion they ever had in the beginning. Or they gain a passion for something that has nothing to do with the ministry and nothing to do with impacting people. You keep passion for the right thing. Because I want to warn you next week, what's coming next week is incredibly hard. Because next week we're going to see some opposition. We're going to see every hater and every critic come out of the woodwork. We're going to see a bunch of people who get so discouraged that God is not with them. That they can't make things happen. That they are complete failures. We're going to see people next week who are as low as you can possibly be. Because they were given a little hope and suddenly they feel like this thing can't happen. And we're going to see so much opposition, so much, so many challenges that come to the people of God. That they're thinking we're failing or we're discouraged or we're exhausted or what we're doing. Can I, and we're going to see Nehemiah stand up and reach down deep. Even in moments where I think maybe he doesn't even know if this thing is going to happen or is possible. We're going to see him reach down and begin to inspire these people with his passion. And you see it from the very beginning. You see him stand up. And listen to me, in this fourth, you begin to stand up and inspire people with your passion. You have the passion for the right thing, I promise you. You begin to inspire people. Watch what he does. Even at the beginning, he says to them, Nehemiah stands up and he says, you see the trouble that we are in. And Nehemiah never sugarcoats this thing. You understand that? Like, that's not what passion means, is you just gloss over any kind of problems. And you're just like, everything is fine. You know, you've got like the, the burning thing behind you and everything is good. That's not what it means to inspire people with passion. Nehemiah stands up, he says, I know that we are in some trouble, everybody. You see this trouble that we're in. Jerusalem is in ruins, its gates burned with fire. And then what does he do? Watch, he says, but come, let us rebuild. Come, everybody, everybody, people of our God, come, people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, come, those who believe, come, those who are part of our people, come, those who are living in these ruins, come, everyone around it, come and let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He inspires with passion. He says, come, let us do these things. Let us do it. God is working. God is for us. God is with us. Inspire the people around you. God will never leave us or forsake us. Watch what he says. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. I began to share with them that God's hand is for us, that God is opening doors we could never open on our own, that God is with us. Inspire them with the passion, he says, and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And they began the good work. He, began, he begins to inspire them. Listen to me. You keep that passion for the right thing. Begin to inspire them with the passion. He gives, God has given us favor. God has opened these doors. You begin to remember the things God has walked you through. He says, God is with us. God is for us. You inspire with passion. There's a quote I love that I read one time. And it goes something like this. Light yourself on fire with passion. And people will come from miles around to watch you burn. You begin to inspire with passion. You begin to gather. You begin to share what God has put in your heart. What do you care about? What has God called you to? Let it break your heart to the point where you can't just keep it to yourself. You can't keep it with yourself. Not with this anger. And listen to me. Not with an anger that turns people away. With a passion that draws people in. That you begin to call out, we can rebuild, we can save our people. Watch what he says in that verse, we can rebuild, we can save our people, we can do these things, no longer living in disgrace. What burdens you? Inspire with passion, you say, we can, we can empty out the adoption in the foster homes and find children homes that they can live in and be safe and loved and live the lives that they, God has called them to live. We can do that. We can help people find freedom from addiction, we can do that. What is it that burdens your heart? Begin to inspire that God is with you, that he is for you, that this thing is possible. 
Say we can build churches in Cuba or in Haiti and we can see God move around the world. We can give towards these ministries. We can do these things. What is it that's on your heart? Begin to inspire people. Nehemiah says, I told them about the favor God had on us, how he moved the heart of the king. Listen to me, what you care about, that burden, what if it's not by accident? What if that thing that's on your heart is not by accident that you care about it? What if that thing that you are burdened about that no one else is, what if it's because you have a calling to it that nobody else has, that God has called you to do? What if it's not by accident? What if, let me say it a different way, what if God has entrusted it to you? Would that change the way that you look at it? That God has called us. The areas that break your heart so often reveal the areas you are called to reach. That we have had burdens put on our heart and every person is different that God has called them to do. Nehemiah is this ordinary person. You don't feel qualified. You don't feel, you don't feel skilled enough. Congratulations. You are exactly the kind of person God loves to use. God loves to use the unqualified and the unskilled and those. God loves to bring them together and to use them for his kingdom. You are perfectly the type of person. And if you think you are overqualified, God can knock you off that peg and use you too. Come on, somebody. He can. God loves to use us to build his kingdom. So what do you do? You pray about everything. You clarify the important thing. You clarify. And I just, that's as practical as I can make it. You write down this week, what is God calling me to? You plan the next thing. I know you might hate to plan. You might hate all of those things. And then you keep a passion for the right things. We're going to step out. We're going to step out in faith. And then we're going to see God do more through us than we ever thought was possible. Bow your heads with me as we close in prayer today. Father, do something through us. God, I pray right now, Lord, that this wouldn't just inspire somebody, God, but we would equip them to step out and do something in the world. That you have called each one of us with a purpose and a plan. That you have a calling on every single person for their life to make a difference, God. That we would do things that would outlast us. That we would reach souls for the kingdom of God. That you have called us, Lord, to seek out the injustices. To see the hurting and to bring the healing of God into their lives. So right now, right now, God, I pray. Give us a passion. Lord, let us seek you in everything. Lord, and let us keep the passion burning. Let us keep the passion alive and let us bring others around us. Lord, that we could equip and we could do and we could make a difference for the kingdom. Now, all of us still praying together. Maybe you're here today and listen to me as we pray. Maybe you're in the room. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're watching at a later date on a recording. Whatever it is, if you can hear me right now, some of you right now in this moment, some of you, your next step is maybe a little bit different than everybody else. And maybe you grew up in church and that's your story, but you don't have an actual relationship with Jesus, a thriving, living relationship with him. Or maybe you're not a church person. Maybe you never set foot in church or maybe you don't really care about all you think. Nehemiah, who is that? Where is that? I don't really care about Bible things. Listen to me. That is perfect. You are welcome here. Bring it on. But I just want you to know your next step. The next step that we take, the next step that you need to do is to have a relationship and to call on the name of Jesus. You say, I'm about as far from God as I've ever been in my life. Listen to me. You are right where you are, but God is still drawing you. And I don't care how far you have run, and I don't care the things that you have done, and I don't care where you come from, and I don't care what you look like, and I don't care what you think disqualifies. Listen to me. God is drawing you. And if you were honest with me, if we sat together, you would probably say you feel something too.
me tell you what that is. That is the ever-loving kindness of God. That is the goodness of God that is drawing you to Him. That even wherever you are in this moment, God still wants you. That as far as you have run, as hard as you have worked to get far from Him, He still wants you and He still loves you. And so right now, your next step is to call on the name of Jesus. You say, who is Jesus? Jesus, let me just tell you, is the perfect Son of God. He is God in the flesh, came to earth to live a perfect life, never sinned. And then at the end of his life, he went to the cross. So why did he have to die? He died as the final sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. The sins that you committed and the sins that I committed, the perfect son of God died to forgive us. But he didn't stay dead. What did the father do? He says, in the power of God, father raised him back to life. So that now anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, anyone, including you, including me. Jesus didn't come for the perfect. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners and he came for the broken. So that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, the name above every other name, it says, would be saved. That right now you have an opportunity to call on the name of Jesus. Right now you have a chance to change the entire direction of your life. It starts with a prayer of surrender, a prayer of repentance. And a prayer that says, I believe. Listen to me. If you say, that's me, that's my next step. I want to encourage you. Our church has dedicated ourselves. We will pray this with every single soul who wants to pray it. That you would be saved. So right now, every head is bowed. You say, that's my step. Pray it with us as a church. It's a prayer of surrender. I'm not asking you to join a congregation. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm asking you to call on the name of Jesus and be saved. So church, let's pray it with them. Say these words. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of all of my sins. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today? Listen to me, church. If you prayed that prayer, tell somebody. If you prayed that prayer to follow Jesus, tell us a friend, a family member, one of our pastors, whoever it is in small group, tell them, hey, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Be blessed this week as you go. The rest of the year dismissed. Be blessed. We'll see you next Sunday morning.